I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. The combination of high cost, long development times, and small patient populations for rare diseases is driving new models to accelerate drug development. The story of the newly formed rare disease company Vitesse is a compelling example. Driven by parents, advanced to the clinic by the National Institutes of Health, and licensed by a new company formed out of an orphan drug accelerator, Vitesse is advancing an experimental drug to treat Neiman-Pick disease type C and other lysomal storage disorders. We spoke to Ben McKilsa, CEO of Vitesse, about his company, the unusual collaborations that led to its formation, and what it says about how patients, government, investors, and industry can work together to speed the development of new therapies for rare diseases. Ben, thanks for joining us. Ah, um, you're welcome, uh, Danny. It's good to talk to you. The establishment of your company, Vitesse, is an interesting story for a number of reasons. We're going to discuss how it came about, the unusual collaborations underlying it, and whether it points to ways to accelerate the development of new therapies, particularly therapies for rare diseases. I think, though, it might be useful to begin with Neiman-Pick disease type C, the first indication you're pursuing. What is Neiman-Pick disease? How many people does it affect? And what's the prognosis for someone diagnosed with the disease? Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's a good question. So so Neiman-Pick is, 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 um, is a disease where there is a, a defect in either the MPC1 or the MPC2 gene. And those those particular genes actually code for a protein which is heavily involved with the um, you know export of cholesterol from from cells, especially the brain cells, and um, when that protein is not functioning well, um, cholesterol is accumulated accumulating in the brain cells, and actually reaches reaches levels where it becomes toxic, and um, you know so so it, that starts to lead to the typical Neiman pick. Um, um, Symptoms such as uh, loss of uh, motor skills, loss of fine motor skills, a cognitive decline, and so you know it it is a a disease where slowly but definitely the situation for the child suffering from Neiman Pick disease is getting worse. Well, Neiman Pick is what's known as a lysomal storage disorder. There's a a number of diseases that fall into this broader group of disorders that have to do with genetic diseases that involve problems with breaking down certain foods and, and clearing cellular waste. Cyclodextrin, which is an inactive ingredient used to stabilize and dissolve drugs in solution, is, is being pursued as a possible therapy. You've also licensed rights to delta tocopherol and, and derivatives, vitamin E, for lysomal storage disorders. How broadly is it thought that these substances may benefit this wider group of diseases and and is it understood what the mechanism of action is here? Yeah, so, you know, so cyclodexin, uh, first, I think in this particular indication, Newman pick, it's actually an active ingredient because it actually binds the cholesterol from in, in the cells and exports it out. 
and hopefully that's the reason why it's going to demonstrate to be uh, an effective uh, drug reducing the symptoms of Neiman Pick, uh, you know. Um, and um, so any, it is possible, so it's hypothetical, and a lot of research and development needs to be put behind it, but that cyclodexin possibly works in other diseases where lipids are accumulating, lysosomal storage diseases, but that still needs to be proven. And, you know, we are also working together with with NIH NCATS on delta tocopherol. Delta tocopherol is also uh, thought to actually also enhance the export of of compounds from the lysosome and therefore, you know, reducing, uh, you know, the, the disease symptoms. Um, so this could be applicable to to a wider range of lysosomal storage disease and part of the program we have developed with NCATS is actually... A, you know, evaluate the efficacy of cyclodexrin and delta tocopherol, or a combination thereof, in all kinds of lysosome storage diseases. Well, what we know about cyclodextrin and its potential to treat Neiman Pick and, and other related diseases is largely based on work by the National Institutes of Health (NCATS), the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences. It's an effort to advance promising early-stage research into the clinic. You've licensed this program from NIH. I'm wondering how significant an investment has NIH made to date, and, and how far have they advanced the work on cyclodextrin? Um, yeah, so it, actually that is, this this whole story around cyclodextrin and Neiman pick type C disease is not only a story of NIH and NCATS, although they have played a phenomenal role, but this is also a story where parents and patients have demonstrated to play a big role. Um, you know, I think in the early days, there were parents who actually fueled, uh, you know, the thinking around cyclodextrin as a possible treatment for cyclodextrin. And, um, you know, there was also investments of some of the parent foundations in actually the program at NIH. And NIH NCATS, they are actually expertly um, in an expert position to, to, you know, take those compounds and do all the preclinical work, figuring out the mechanism of action, figuring out the efficacy range and those kind of things, which is has proven to be a very solid foundation for the clinical development we are now embarking on. So, um, you know, I, I think that NCAPS and NIH, uh, just for your information, NCAPS is the Institute for Translational Sciences, and which is a part of NIH. Um, but NCATS is, is, has a specific rare disease program where they are evaluating compounds for further development. Um, so I would say, you know, without the help and the, the fueling energy of the parents, the patients, and the patient foundations, it would never have gotten into NCATS probably. But then NCATS took it and got it to a point where we could actually you know, evaluate the data and make an assessment if it made sense and if it had enough of a chance of success to bring it into clinical development. And uh, I must say that the science behind cyclodextrin, in my opinion, is very compelling. And, you know, of course there are caveats and we never know 100% it's going to work, but we are optimistic that this could be a very important therapeutic opportunity for children with Neiman-Pick uh, disease. So, in, in short, I don't think that 
this program would even be in the clinic without the help of all those parties involved. Oh, what, what does that say about the changing role of NIH and, and the role it can play in translational research? I mean, this is, uh, this is kind of a, a new role that, that NIH is, is moving towards. Yeah, I, I think they, they strategically play a very important role because I think they bridge the gap between a concept to, uh, from being a concept to actually being ready for the clinic. And so they do a significant de-risking which hopefully makes it attractive for companies like us, continue to make it attractive for companies like us to develop new drugs. And I think there is a big need in the rare disease community, which is relatively underserved, that we continue to find models which actually fuel investment, models which can be replicated, so it becomes an interesting opportunity for 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 people in the field. And so they play a pivotal role, and I think they have done it might have been a very good role. They, they, I think the the level of science is extremely deep, and uh, they've shown to be good partners to work with. Oh, the test is actually the first spinoff of side end development and orphan drug accelerator, backed by the same group of investors that have funded the test. What led to the decision to spin off the test, and, and how far will the twenty five million you've raised take you? Yeah, so you know, I got involved in this program in May 2014, and I was contacted by by Sidon and, and some of their investors to actually help out to evaluate if this program was strong enough to actually, uh, you know, be invested in. And I think Sidon, as, as an orphan drug accelerator, is, you know, I think if you look at NCATs, they are scientifically extremely strong, but not necessarily have the interest in being uh, being involved with you know clinical development of the product, and so there is a chance that there is that not everybody speaks the same language when you start assessing those kinds of opportunities, and that's where a company like Sidon actually plays a key role because they are kind of the middleman between a a, cl- a commercial development team like Vitesse and the NCATs. They speak this language on both sides of the aisle. And so they, they basically help also further de-risk it and also build a case to make this program investment ready. So, so they play an important role, and I think it's a very important concept because the thing is you need to get these kind of assets to a point where you can find a solid uh, consortium of investors who actually is interested in investing in it. And I think if we can make this model work, again, it is essential that that we make this uh, something which can be replicated because there are many, many rare diseases, many, many lysosomal storage diseases which are still in need of of treatment. We've talked about the unusual role NIH is playing and, and the need for new approaches to accelerate drug development. What about SIDAN? What does the work of an accelerator allow that push this project and Vitesse down the development path faster than it might otherwise have been? Um, you know, I, I think what a company like Sidon, uh does is they, they actually look at the program not only from a scientific perspective, but also to see if it has all the building blocks to actually build a case for future regulatory approval. And I think sometimes when you do the science, uh, you know, your focus is not immediately on the regulatory approval. And it's also a specific know-how you need. So I think Sidon actually helped 
the Aristis program and actually also, you know, was able to line up this, uh, you know, consortium of investors who had interest in this program. So I think they, they sliced out, at least in my opinion, nine months, because if they would have done everything in the regular way, I probably could only have started looking for investors, well, in, you know, in, later. In addition to the license agreement with NCATS, you're also engaged in a cooperative research and development agreement with the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, as well as NCATS. What does the CRADA do? What does it call for? And, and what does it allow you to do? Um, so what it does allow me to do is to actually, you know, develop this pro uh, this 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 program and and develop um you know cyclodexin for the use of mpc patients i get access to all the know-how all the knowledge uh, all the patterns related to this and um in in exchange we have a joint research agreement with uh with with ncats nih where um ncats will work on the development of the optimization of cyclodexin uh, delta to coverall, which is the vitamin E, and combinations thereof, because I think it is very important to actually also project a long-term view, because hopefully cyclodexin works, but if that works, and even if it's approved, our work is not yet done. There will be opportunities to improve the, the product, to think about other indications. For example, uh, you know, um, is there ways to actually improve the administration or those kind of things? Um, so, and they will help us actually, and they provide us the data to assess what kind of opportunities we have to think about uh, next generation products. So, what's either the path in MPC or other lysosomal diseases? So, what's the path forward here? Will you be working in tandem on on different indications or different therapeutic approaches? And when do you expect your first clinical milestone? So for us, you know, we are a company, and and I think it's very important to understand that our mantra is speed while under promising but over delivering. I think we cannot raise expectations which are not grounded on solid data, and so um, I, I think it, it is very important that that you realize that because. Um, it also tells me that the first thing we need to do is actually start a clinical trial with cyclodexin in MPC. Um, and I think if we can do that, we create credibility with the patients, with the parents, with all stakeholders, with FDA, and with our investors. Yeah, I think NIH NCATS is working on the research, but and hopefully, um, you know, that will result in in the future in other options for either Neiman pick or other lysosomal storage diseases. Um, so I think the first focus is cyclodexin. We must actually get it started. It's important that these patients get an answer. And we want to do that as, as fast as possible with appropriate scientific rigor so that we can get data which lead to approval of this product. Um, so, you know, again, we think first things first, get it started, build credibility, and then start thinking about the other options. Of course, it's in our mind, but our main focus now is to start the trial. And, you know, if everything goes well, uh, we target to start a trial this year, um, you know, uh, uh, 
a pivotal trial. So, uh, so that that's that's our main focus for now. Ben McKilsa, CEO of Vitesse. Ben, thanks so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thanks so much. A few housekeeping notes. I want to thank our listener, Jason Knight, for the advice he provided us in upgrading our equipment for this podcast. We hope you heard the difference this week. Over on our sister podcast, The Bio Report, you can hear from EY's Jeff Green and why Big Pharma has been unable to close its growth gap through acquisitions. And next week on The Rarecast, we'll take a look at the upcoming World Rare Disease Day and the role that raising awareness plays in advancing research and improving care. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.